0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Reimagined Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and we're rolling right along on my journey to bring you 100 episodes. This is episode number 91, and I'm so excited to bring you my recent conversation with Dr. Tom Guskey, one of the world's leading voices on educational measurement, evaluation, assessment, grading, and professional learning. Dr. Guskey is a longtime professor at the University of Kentucky And an award-winning author with 25 books to his credit that includes get set go creating successful grading and reporting systems that came out in 2020 and on your mark challenging the conventions of grading and reporting you can get both books at tguskey.com and be sure to give dr guskey a follow on twitter at t it was a tremendous honor to spend some time with dr guskey to discuss why schools still hold on so tight to that traditional grading practice that often is harmful to students. Most importantly, we dive into why giving letter grades is simply not a true reflection of student learning. And we close the conversation with some great advice on how to change your grading practice right there in your classroom. This one was a lot of fun. So turn up the dial and get ready to learn from one of the very best in Dr. Tom Gusky. Finally, folks, don't forget that you can now support the Reimagine Schools podcast with my Buy Me a Coffee link, a space to leave comments about your favorite guest and episodes. You can find the link buymeacoffee.com slash Dr. Greg Goins, in the show notes and also in my Twitter bio at Dr. Greg Goins. So let's get right into it. My conversation with Dr. Tom Guskey begins right after this quick promo from the Education Podcast Network.
1: I'm Jesse Lubinsky. I'm Donnie Piercy. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Heil, host of the Partial Credit Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education
0: podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello good everyone. We are back again in the saddle for the Reimagine Schools Podcast. Have another great episode coming at you. Today's guest is a professor emeritus in the College of Education at the University of Kentucky, longtime career in higher education, working with P-12 schools. He's the author and editor of 25 award-winning books. He's an expert in educational measurement, evaluation, assessment, grading, and professional learning. It's a great honor to welcome in Dr. Tom Guskey. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Greg. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your program. Well, I've been a big fan of yours for a very long time and the work that you've done. And, you know, we live in close proximity. I'm here in Central Kentucky and you've been in Lexington for a long time. So, uh, as we think about your body of work and the impact that you've had over a 40 plus career doing this work, if you go back to uh, your doctoral thesis with uh, Benjamin Bloom as your advisor, you know, from the famed Bloom Taxonomy to today, still out there speaking and writing and kind of leading the charge to think differently about some of these things, what is it that still gets you excited every day, get out of bed and
1: think I can, you know, make a difference as we talk about how to change schools? Uh, Well, I have sort of unique perspective because I actually began as a classroom teacher. My first uh, experiences in education right out of college, I began as a middle school teacher in Pennsylvania. And... It was kind of happenstance, but I just I just fell in love with it. And I know a lot of people consider it difficult to work with that age of kids. You know, the middle grades are always kind of a tumultuous time for young people. But uh, it, it really worked out. I just fell in love with that whole operation and the commitments of people. I met some wonderful individuals who were so committed to the learning of their kids, and then actually went back to graduate school to learn how to become a better teacher. And it was through a series of circumstances that uh, went from Boston College then to the University of Chicago, worked there with, as you said, uh, Professor Benjamin Bloom, but a very strong influence on, on my thinking and how I th- thought about the ideas of, of education, of instruction, uh, assessment, and grading and learning. So it's been sort of a wonderful track of trying to keep a foot in both worlds, the world of, of researchers, but also the world of practitioners, understanding that world well, and, and how to talk about the practical implications of that work.
0: And you know, as the podcast, the name of the podcast indicates, you know, my research and my interest is trying to reimagine and kind of reinvent this thought of what the uh, American school system should look like. And I, I've been blessed to talk to some great leaders and some great thought leaders uh, and educators uh, Alfie Cohn, Rick Warmley, Will Richardson, a lot of the people that are kind of in the same space you are uh, on the grading side. So, as I've talked to those folks and as I've continued to read your work, the thing that I still have a hard time wrapping my head around is is why do we still hold on to these traditional grading practices when we know they don't work?
1: And more importantly, we know at times they can be harmful to kids. Well, what gives me a rather unique perspective on this, different from others uh, who work in this area and others with whom you've spoken, is that uh, I come in as a researcher. You know, I, I work as a university professor, and and so I can't advocate practices based on opinion. I have to be able to have evidence to back it up. And so from that, there's been a lot of uh, effort been placed in trying to understand what research background we have in this area. We took on a major project in 2016, the American Educational Research Association was celebrating its 100th anniversary. And as a part of that, they put out a call to the field to different scholars and researchers asking if they would take on the task of summarizing the research on these different areas of education that had taken place over that 100 year period. So together with my friend Susan Brookhart, we put together an amazing team of scholars that that really took on that task, looking at what we have discovered and really understand about grading over that 100 year period of research. Our article was, actually the lead article in the Review of Educational Research. And then we took that and talked about the policy implications of it from uh, for a book we did for ASCD entitled What We Know About Grading. But you make a really accurate observation. One of the things that surprised us in, in looking and summarizing this research is discover how much we know, how long we've known it, and how little has found its way in our practice today. I'm absolutely convinced there's just not another area in education where there's a bigger gap between our knowledge base and our practice than in the area of grading. We hang on to traditions in grading much longer than we've held on to almost any other aspect of the teaching learning process.
0: And you know you talk about research and obviously that's where we have to look to find uh, a better way of doing things and I think there's plenty of research out there to indicate that grades do not reflect real learning. And, you know, a lot of the grading structure that has been in place for so long is to sort kids, and it's really about a competition. And, you know, it kind of breaks my heart to see some of these schools where it becomes a competition in the classroom where we have winners and losers every day. And I I just keep thinking to myself, you know, we're in 2022. You know, surely we can create a better process and support kids so everyone can cross the finish line as a winner.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, that's such an important point. In fact, one of the things that – is probably the most uh, established finding we have in all of our studies on grading is that we really need to be grading kids according to what they've learned and what they're able to do, not according to their relative standing among classmates. I mean, it's just not worthy of debating any longer. The evidence in this is so clear. Uh, we call it the difference between norm based criteria and, and sort of a criterion based system. Uh, with norm-based, your your grade reflects where you stand compared to classmates. So a grade of C, for example, doesn't mean you're at stage three in a five-step process to mastery. It means you're average. You're in the middle of the group. And we know that when grades are based on that normative, what we call grading on the curve, that number one, it tells you nothing about learning. Um, Everybody could have done miserably. Some did less than than others. Uh, It makes learning very competitive, just as you said because kids have to compete against each other for a few scarce high grades the teacher's going to give out. It makes the relationship between students very difficult because now they see each other as competition and it ruins the relationship of teachers to students because as soon as a teacher starts helping one, you're not helping the others. You're really destroying the, the nature of that competition. If you grade according to criteria, then it changes all the rules. Now the grade really means something. It reflects how the, well the kids have learned what you set out to teach them. Uh, It makes collaboration a part of the learning process because helping someone else doesn't hurt your chances for success. And it put teachers and kids on the same side how to learn what we say is important. So that's one of the very firmly established principles we have in our research and grading. We got to grade kids according to learning criteria, not according to normative based criteria.
0: And, and you know, I'm a former school district superintendent. I've been a principal. I've been a classroom teacher. And I tell the story a lot in my higher ed classes that I teach. I remember as a high school principal walking through the hallway in the math department. And on one side of the hallway, uh, they had a 90, 80, 70, 60 grading scale. On the other side of the hallway, it was completely different. And and I remember having a meeting with my math teachers uh, shortly after I started. And, you know, this game of school we play in which most of it's about compliance and some teachers like to play gotcha uh, to kind of have that control and command. But if we think about this game of school, if the kids don't know what the expectations are, how can we expect them to be successful?
1: Yeah, that's true. In fact, in recent years, most of the studies that I've been doing have looked at the perceptions of students or parents with regard to grading. We find that their greatest concern, especially with regard to fairness in grading, is exactly the point you mentioned, the inconsistency in grading policies and practices among teachers in the same school. Um, And and that just drives them nuts that every time a kids change classes, all the rules change. Uh, What the grade means changes, how the grades calculated changes. Some students see this as a huge game and they become strategists in the game, sort of wanting to figure it out and how to play it well. But for most kids, it's a total mystery. And so before the report card comes out, their parent turns to the dinner table and asks, what grade are you going to get in this class? And they respond, in all honesty, I don't know. So if it's supposed to be a tool for communication, we're just not serving that purpose very well at all.
0: And, you know, as you think about the traditional model of teaching and learning, it was about what the kids could memorize and what they can produce on a quiz or a test. That was kind of the grading structure. Can you play the game? Can you follow the rules? So we know now that information is a commodity. Every student has a Chromebook or an iPad or something in front of them. So the role of the teacher also has to change. So now we're moving into deeper learning concepts and we're seeing a lot of really positive momentum around that. But I also think that teachers also have to kind of reimagine how to assess student performance in the classroom if it's no longer about what they put on a quiz or a test. You know, now it's about how they're gonna collaborate in a project-based learning a situation or how they're gonna go about proving that they can apply Those skills they've learned to a real world setting. Is that a a big shift or a new conversation that you're having?
1: Well, it it does change the grading game in that whenever teachers move to these alternative forms of assessment, uh, where there's more writing, there's more uh, production, there's more demonstration, that we still have to have specific criteria by which we're going to give students feedback on how well they're learning what we hope they would learn by their engagement in these sort of things. And so teachers really have to establish the clear criteria for being able to do that. Now, I know a lot of teachers sort of get frustrated with that. They say, well, I can see I could do that if, if you were teaching math or if you were teaching science. But you have to understand, I teach creative writing. You know How could I ever use a project to, to teach something like creative writing? And, and the point that I always make is, if you do teach creative writing, and I think you should, the very first thing you must be able to do is to be able to define with some clarity the difference between the composition that is creative and the one that is not. Because if you can't describe that difference, what are you going to teach? And sometimes teachers challenge me and say, no, 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 I, 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 can't, I can't describe it, but I, I just know it when I see it. <laughs> and my response said, that is fine if all you're worried about is assessment, but it's not fine if what you're worried about is teaching. Because teaching is not a random process. Teaching is directional. Teaching implies taking kids from where they are to where we think they should be. And that means we need to be clear about that direction. And so that's where the development of rubrics, the development of scoring criteria becomes so powerful, both as a tool for giving kids feedback on how they can improve and for giving teachers feedback on, on how they can make their instruction better to help kids learn those things well.
0: And, you know, I think about how we assess kids in terms of at the end of the quarter, they're going to get a report card and they're going to get a letter grade, A, B, C, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I've always been fascinated by this idea that we give letter grades by subject. So you're going to get a grade in science and math and reading. And as we continue to explore, a lot of districts are doing the portrait of success skills, portrait of a graduate. So there are the four C's and these competencies we want kids to learn, you know, why can't we make a shift and give grades uh, in other areas, you know, uh, is, is the student creative, are they collaborative, are they a good teammate, uh, do they have leadership skills, you know, why do we continue to hold on so tight to just what you put on a, a homework assignment in a math class.
1: Right. Well, again, you've identified a critical point here. We do find that even if teachers grade according to criteria, there are three different types of criteria that can be involved. Uh, the first we call product criteria, and that's just culminating in of learning. You know, a second is what we call process criteria. And process criteria don't represent learning per se, but they enable the learning process. So for example, if you count homework, you're grading in terms of process. If you got formative assessments if you count class participation all those are process criteria and finally we have what are called progress criteria with progress criteria you worry not where they are but how far they've come sometimes referred to as improvement grading or, or value added gain grading a student might make excellent progress for example but still be achieving below grade level now what we know is that all three are important but all three are distinct what gets us into trouble is when we combine all three into a single grade because as soon as you do that then the grade becomes meaningless you know she got a high grade does that mean she learned everything well perhaps but maybe it just means she tried really hard or if you know where she started she's come so far now so the this answer to that is that we have to start breaking these things out and giving multiple grades instead of a single grade and and we'll pull out these non-academic factors and we put them separately. Now, some advocates say, well, they shouldn't count anymore, but we know as soon as you say it doesn't count, then the students aren't gonna do it. So I say, yes, we count it, we just mark it separately. Now, the really odd part though, is if if you go to other places around the world, if you go to like some of the Scandinavian countries or places in Asia, if you go to Canada and look at their report cards, they've done this for decades. They don't give a single grade in a subject area, but they have an achievement grade where they can still calculate GPA and all that kind of stuff, but then they have a separate grade for homework, a separate grade for punctuality and turning in assignments, a separate grade for class participation. Now, when I first saw that, I said to them, wow, this looks great, but it looks like so much extra work. They turned back to me and said, it's easier than what you silly people do in the States. We collect the same information as you do, we just don't worry about combining it at the end. And so all those arguments you have about how you weight stuff we don't deal with it, we keep it separate. The teachers there love it because they find that kids take homework more seriously when they get separate grade for homework. It's no longer a part of this. Parents like it because it can profile performance of their kids, college universities love it because now you can tell the difference between the really high achieving, irresponsible student from the highly responsible, low achieving student. In our system, they both get C's. In the Canadian system, they look quite different.
0: And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Canada because I, I was blessed to have Michael Fullen on the podcast about a year ago. And he did some great work working for the uh, the premier there in Ontario and really changing what those schools look like with, well, from a deeper learning lens. And, yeah. you know, he talked a lot about uh, the, the biggest challenge in getting in there and kind of rolling up your sleeves and seeing change happen was just to completely change the mindset of, what that traditional teaching and learning model look like, and I think a lot of teachers. My guess is, you know, we've been talking now for about twenty minutes. Uh, a lot of people listening in their car to the podcast, or maybe on the treadmill, are nodding in an agreement, saying, "Yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying," but I just don't know what to do or how to do it. So, I think teachers, by and large, are confused. Uh, I think there's a lot of agreement, uh, but in terms of application, I mean, I still have teachers ask me about. the difference between formative and summative assessment, and what's the difference between standards-based grading and competency-based grading. So I don't know how we can change the messaging uh, around how to fix this. Uh,
1: Maybe you have some thoughts on that. Well, what you identify is clearly a problem. We have this tendency in education when something's not working very well, we never change it substantially, we just change the name. And this has led to a a variety of names attached to very similar sort of processes. Um, You know, is there a difference between um, competency-based grading and standards-based grading? Well, is there a difference between standard and competencies? It depends on who you talk to. You know, are competencies and standards different from goals? Are they different from objectives? Are they different from outcomes? You know, some people would argue passionately they are. I don't see it. The basic idea is we need to be clear about what we want kids to learn to be able to do. What you label those things really doesn't matter. Once you identify those things, and again, this goes back to what what my mentor, Benjamin Bloom said. He said, learning in any subject area is infinite. There's no limit to what you can learn in any subject area, but a curriculum is finite. When we define a curriculum, we specify within that entire domain of that subject area the things that we consider most important for students to learn. Once we define that curriculum, our job as educators is to do everything possible to have all of our students learn that curriculum excellently. And we really wanna look at developing talent rather than selecting talent in that way. And so we define that curriculum, then take on that responsibility of having them all learn that well. We make sure that we teach them those things directly. Their instruction aligns with those goals. Our assessments should capture that information in good and valid ways. And then we should report and grade accordingly.
0: You know, I'm just going to kind of take a shot in the dark here and make an assumption that my guess would be the number one question that you've gotten throughout your career as you go out. In schools and talk with teachers and school leaders about changing grading practice, is Dr. Gusky, if we don't give a letter grade, how do we know how much a student has learned? Or how can we measure that learning outcome? And so, am I right by saying that? And, and kind of what, what's
1: your response to that? Sure. And I think that somehow, you know, and, and some, I felt some of our consultants for this, we've made letter grades the villain. Uh, and they're not, you know, letter grades are simply categories of student performance and the label you attach to those categories really doesn't matter you know we had a situation here in Kentucky where when some of our reforms were passed early on our Department of Education came out and said we didn't want to have letter grades in the elementary grades any longer especially primary we thought that was demeaning to them we wanted to move away from that and so what many of our teachers did is they adopted different labels to categories of student performance many adopted the same categories as we use in our state assessment you know here in Kentucky we have a state assessment that Classify student performance at one of four levels. So on our state assessment, you can score a one, two, three, or four, and we label that novice, apprentice, proficient, and distinguished. And so we changed our report cards to reflect those same categories. We did a study where we interviewed parents about that. And you know, every single parent we talked to translated that directly. Distinguished is an A, proficient is a B. We accomplished nothing. And so if you think by changing the labels, you're changing interpretation, you can forget it. Parents can interpret it exactly the same way. Now, what makes the difference is the meaning we attach to those labels. And so if we attach a criterion-based level of performance to those different categories, then that can be advantageous to students, you know, because students want to know how close am I? You know, am I how well am I doing? And to say you're, you're at, a, at a three on a four-point scale is okay. To say you're at a B and you could be at an A, that's okay. To say you're at, at proficient and you could be distinguished, that's okay. Right? So long as I pair with that guidance and direction to students as to how they can get to that distinguished or that four or that A, that's the critical point. Us being really clear about what we expect for those level of performance and helping all of our kids reach that level.
0: So when a school superintendent or chief academic officer, if you will, calls you and says, Dr. Gusky, we really need you to come into our district and spend some time with our teachers, change our practice. We know what we're doing needs to change. Uh, are they expecting you to come in with a magic wand and fix it? Uh, or are they looking for you to kind of ask leading questions and help them kind of discover on their own what they're doing and why? And, and then I guess the, the bigger question is, what does a Tom Gusky school look like? If you can design your own school and your own grading mechanism, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure you've probably written about that or talked about that, but you know, what does that look like?
1: Well, I usually begin presentations on grading by telling my introduction to the dilemmas of the grading system. I shared with you earlier, Gray, how I started as middle school teacher. In the middle school where I taught, it was our practice to give final examinations to our eighth graders. We thought this was a good idea; we thought it was going to prepare them for high school. I remember the first year doing this because I was standing outside of my class door as one of my eighth grade classes was coming to take their exam. Reading kids as they came in, and down the hall comes my superstar, Jessica. She had done so well through the whole year, and as she came down the hall and walked in, I said, "Hi, Jess. How are you today?" She said, "Fine, Mr. Gusky, How are you?" I said, "Jess, I'm great." I said, "Did you study for your exam?" She said. No, not really. I was stunned. I I couldn't believe it. And I, because she had done so well, I turned to her and said, Jess, how could you not study for your exam? This is a really important part of your grade. And she looked at me really quizzically and said, well, Mr. Getsky, I worked it out. I don't need a 50.2 for my A. I don't have studied to get a 50.2. This eighth grader had worked it out to the 10th decimal place. What she needed to do to get the A in my class, and she was surprised that I didn't get it. And I thought, what have I done? I mean, what have I done to this brilliant young woman that to her, school was not about learning, it was about getting a grade. And she had done her job and she was surprised that I didn't understand. And from that time on, I just thought about this whole process differently. And, and so when I go into schools, that's exactly what I'm intending to do as well. I want teachers to think about these things they've always accepted just because it was what they experienced. And help them understand that some of what we experienced wasn't that great. And we know how to do it better. There are better ways to do it. And and open up some of those doors for them them to consider. And then once they start those conversations, then you see real change taking place.
0: And, you know, I'm seeing more and more districts. um, You know, you do a quick Google search on alternate grading methods in schools. (laughs) And the thing that keeps popping up that I see is this concept of grading for learning. And I don't. I have still haven't figured out if this is a system or if this is a concept. But at least the, I think the good news is a lot of districts are thinking about, you know, how to do something differently. Uh, you know, w- when you see that kind of floating around, what are your initial
1: thoughts? Okay. Um, well, I I must say that I'm not particularly fond of that whole notion, and for this reason, um, the question that always comes about is if we change grading, is going to help students learn any better? And the evidence on this is very clear, absolutely not. No changing grading is going to help kids learn better. Grading is a communication tool. And so if you change grading, you're not changing what you teach, you're not changing how you teach it, you're not even changing how you measure that learning. So why would you expect it to change how well kids have learned? Now, should your grading system reflect how well kids have learned? Absolutely, yes. Are there things we do in grading to discourage learning? Absolutely, yes. And are there changes we need to make that can move us in a more positive direction that can really facilitate the learning process in better ways? Yes, there are. And I can identify for them specific things they need to do in that area. And But that provides a framework for it or a foundation for it. It doesn't necessarily prompt it. To prompt it, we would have to change what we teach and how we teach in better ways. And when we do that, then we'll see the improvement coming about.
0: Well, it's been a fascinating conversation. I could talk with you all day, and I want to respect your time. But I do want to give you one final closing thought. I mean, there are a lot of principals out there, educators listening to the podcast. Maybe they're ready to tackle something new and really dive into change. You know, what advice can you give for those folks? Where do they start? You know, it's a a pretty big leap of faith to do something that's been entrenched in the American school system forever, 140 years. And now we want to talk about changing it. So just kind of give me a closing thought, maybe some advice for school leaders.
1: Well, I think one of the most important things we could do right off from the, the, the start, and it doesn't require any extra work, is actually to move away from this idea of combining all these diverse elements into a single grade and, and provide a profile of information on student performance using multiple grades, especially to pull out the non-academic factors from academic performance and report those separately. Not that they're unimportant and we can't neglect them. We just wanna move away from this idea of what researchers call a hodgepodge grade in providing a a better profile of student performance by reporting these things separately and providing that information for parents and the students as well. That's a prerequisite to actually, before we can move to any competency-based or standards-based approach, that has to come first. Once you do that, it makes moving toward a competency based or standards based approach much easier because students and teachers will start looking at that academic grade and, and looking at ways that they can break it down. But you got to pull the non academic factors out first.
0: Well, thank you again for being here. Like I said, just a fa- fascinating conversation. I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, mm-hmm. You can follow Dr. Gusky on Twitter. I think you're at T. Gusky. And uh, you can go to the website and learn how you can get in contact if you, if you need some help. And I think a lot of us need some help on how to change the way we think about grading. So thank you, sir, for being here. Thanks, Greg. It's been a pleasure. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined schools podcast. Once again, a big thank you goes out to Dr. Tom Gusky. For a great conversation on how to reimagine grading in your classroom be sure to share this one out with your education friends and colleagues and have some discussion right there in your school about some of the great conversations we're bringing you here on the reimagine schools podcast in fact why not find some friends and start your own podcast pd right there in your own school i'll even help get you up and going just send me a dm or email me at dr at gmail.com if i can jump into a zoom call our help lead you towards some podcast PD. So until next time, folks, be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and keep fighting for change in your school.